Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I talk about optimizing your learning. We start by defining learning, we discuss learning as a skill, and we talk about how sleep and food affect your ability to learn. We talk about having a process and a method for acquiring knowledge and how training the mind for focused attention is more important now than ever, especially when it comes to learning, considering the fact that we live in an age of distraction. Uh, We really enjoy the conversation and we hope that it benefits you in your own life. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by TFC App. With an expanding global tribe of foot nerds, we set out to create a platform that will allow our tribe to share our learning journey with others and inspire people around the world to live a more natural lifestyle. Only you can be the hero of your own health journey, and we want to create a free app that delivers you the information, the guidance, and the inspiration you need to reconnect with health. We'll be releasing, uh, or we released, uh, a soft launch of the app on October 1st, where you can see all the menus and features, and we'll have a full public release and activation of all the features on November 1st. To download the app, you can simply click on the link in our Instagram bio, or look up TFC app on the iOS app store or Google app store. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by the Roasters Pack. Our team at uh, TFC head office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And the Roasters Pack is a really unique Canadian company that provides a subscription service to deliver you three great coffees to your door each month. And they give you the story of the craft roasters behind the beans that they deliver. Check out theroasterspack.com. Use the code foot at checkout and you'll get seven bucks off your first month of any subscription. Lastly, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear for our seminars and workshops. They make super high quality cases in Canada that can keep your electronics safe when you're traveling. Uh, And you can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. So let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet are the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hello folks, Nick and Mike here back for another episode of Shop Talk. And today's episode is going to be about optimized learning. Uh, We all know that learning is the process of acquiring new knowledge. But in the modern age of distraction that we live in, um, being able to spend time in deep focus and learning has actually become something that's very difficult. Um, as our team continues to learn about health, we've picked up some important pieces of knowledge about things you can do to improve your ability to learn and train your ability to learn. So Mike and I wanted to have a conversation about that today. And probably the first, uh, first place to start is let's define learning, right? Like everyone knows the word we say, oh, I want to learn something or, uh, even the word learning. I think people know what it means kind of, but If we break it down, um, one definition I pulled was learning is the process of acquiring new or modifying existing knowledge, behaviors, skills, values, or preferences. So it's basically the acquisition of knowledge. And they say that um, in that same definition, it says this ability is possessed by humans, animals, uh, plants, and some machines, which was probably added recently. But that's another kind of thing where machines are now able to learn. And that's scary and also exciting at the same time. I think the two components of that that are that pop out are acquiring new or modifying existing. Yeah, and I think it's the both that we were talking about before are important. They're both just as important because it's, it's not like you're just adding new stuff all the time. It's actually and you're a lot not of replacing you're stuff actually, all the time. No, you're you're sometimes having to just like kind of modify and actually go back to the drawing board and be like, oh, what I thought before 
was not necessarily correct. So, you, so you're like cutting and hacking away things that might not have been on, uh, as on point as, as uh, or it might not have been as truthful as you thought. And, yeah. then, uh, and then you might be adding new stuff altogether. And I think we like to focus on you're wrong, I'm right. But usually what it ends up being when you actually have a rational conversation between two humans interested in finding points of agreement instead of just arguing is that it's not I'm wrong, you're right. It's we're both in agreement on 90% of stuff. And then I disagree with you on 10% of stuff. But that's probably yeah. not what we need to focus on. You know, I think I think that's important. And I agree that modifying existing knowledge is an important point of learning because it's not always brand new novel stuff. It's more tweaking your existing way of thinking or your existing understanding to implement new knowledge and, and kind of just change that perspective slightly. Hmm. So, and then doing that constantly and incrementally, which over can time. result over time in big changes, but. And, and that results in, we'll get into, I think first going down to like the nuts and bolts of learning, because we can strip everything away and, and look at kind of some of the mechanisms that we know currently in terms of psychology, but also even like neuroscience and brain science. Yeah. Um, so what we learned a lot about in physio school, which I didn't really le kind of appreciate at the time, was this, these neuroplastic changes that are happening and, and neuroplasticity um, and, and basically kind of rewiring and remapping the brain based on what you expose it to. So, I mean, like neuroplasticity in and of itself is, is how the brain is like plastic and it's able to change over time depending on what you do with it. So, mm -hmm. um and then, you know, there's this concept called long-term potentiation. And that's basically when you take nerve cells, which are called neurons, and you um, and different neurons are, are firing. So there's this concept called if they fire together, they wire together, mm -hmm. right? Neurons that fire together, wire together. And, and that's just if neurons are continually sending signals between each other because they have some stimulus that's causing it to do so, you're learning something new, you're, you're doing something that causes these neurons to fire, this, this signal transmission is going to get stronger and stronger over time. Uh, and it's actually going to build more neural strength. So, so the strength between these neural connections. So these, and there's actually going to be new neural connections as well. So you're, you're kind of sprouting new neural connections in your brain based on what you're learning. So this has become something that goes from something... People think learning is more like comes out of thin air or it's like more yeah. but it's like literally you're you're putting down new hardware and you're, you're sprouting things in your brain and they can actually monitor new neuron neuron neuronal connections sprouting in your brain when when this is happening well what i think interesting crazy is when like you're right in physio school we have no it's such an abstract concept when they say neuroplasticity or or um neural remapping but you know i always wish that you could go back with a new brain the brain that you have now in physio school it would probably be awesome and terrible at the same time because yeah. you'd call bullshit on so much stuff but you'd also be like wow i can actually understand you know the the class on um stroke for example for and sure. that's where you see it right when you're on placement you see someone that has that's had a stroke and a part of their brain has basically been knocked out of commission and you essentially see neuroplasticity in action when someone that cannot move their hand yeah. and half their face is sagging, goes back to regaining control over those areas. And oftentimes it's not coming from that center of the brain coming alive again. It's coming from other areas of the brain taking over that role. And that is so, looking back on that, 
it like amazes me some of the stuff I saw, but I had no context at the time. Exactly. It can so it can occur between individual neurons, like I talked about, and what you just said is more uh, larger scale. And we can even like it's called cortical remapping. You can remap your brain depending on on your use. So and we see that in like brain injuries too, uh, when people have accidents. So it's like a part of the brain's knocked out, and you see it even in in you know for instance somebody who goes blind, um, different parts of their brain will actually uh, start to work harder in terms of giving you more tactile stimulation uh, feedback and, and yeah. things like that sharpens your other senses but but there's it's just like literally you can other parts of your brain can be like okay we're going to take over w- the function of that now let's figure it out let's mo- mobilize resources let's kind of get all hands on deck and figure out how we can use these neurons to do the same job as that was doing yeah um, and then that becomes something so i think a big part of that is like you see the people who do very well in uh things like stroke rehab brain rehab and stuff like that these are always the people that really buy into the process and are motivated and determined and yeah. um and i know i'm not going to name names but there was a there's a um, doctor in ottawa who had a motorcycle accident uh, and he was known to be a very uh, like a kind of a, a motivated guy very um you know career focused driven um so after he had the brain injury he it was a fairly uh, significant brain injury he went through into the rehab process so hard and he recovered very very quickly to the to yeah, he went um, back to teaching and he went back to teaching and now he's back into a medical practice wow. um, because he he was he so driven and, so, and not surgery anymore but he's back in a medical practice and he's like um, he's thriving in that so it's like somebody who has a significant brain injury can just go hard at it and just again he he knew the concepts of he that. knows the mechanism because he, he was a neurosurgeon right he was a spine surgeon yeah spine surgeon okay yeah but so he, he, he's he a smart understands guy. it and, and so he, it's interesting that uh, your your mindset going into it, you and once you know that, having the knowledge of that goes a long way because it's yeah. like holy shit, you can just you can remodel your brain. And well, I, it gives I, you a sense of hope, right? Yeah. When you're like, okay, I had this big insult to my brain or my spinal cord or whatever it is, but I know what can happen and how much adaptation can happen because I've seen it in patients. I'm gonna go hard at this, and mm-hmm. he probably <laughs> literally set the bar really high for what's possible in terms of rehab in both speed and quality of rehab in terms of regaining function Very and true. just the fact that he can practice medicine right like i'm sure he had to go through a lot of r- learning a lot of rings again. a lot of learning basics but also like i he would probably be the one that's harshest on himself to make sure like am i actually competent in practicing medicine after this injury so i'm sure he went through a really rigorous process of being evaluated to make sure he was okay to practice and the fact that he is means like that's insane for sure and that's basically called activity dependent plasticity so depending on what you do with your body um or depending on what behaviors you expose you partake in or or what you uh, expose your body to what you learn you're just going to remodel it according to your kind of your liking which which is interesting because it brings it back to like you have more control than you think and um and that puts more responsibility on us and saying okay well this is a great thing this is a interesting this is an interesting concept that we have more control than we think we do over over what our brain looks like and how yeah, we model it that's insane um so then now it's like oh shit we have more responsibility again that word responsibility um yeah, we can't play the helpless do, card as much as no, we think we can. Because if we're determined and if we if we know even these mech basic mechanisms of, of growing new neural connections and learning new things, um, yeah, we can take full advantage of that. And everyone's different. Everyone will have a different start point and a different end goal. But but again, everybody can take advantage of the neuroplastic uh, effects of the brain, which is very powerful, I would say. And even like the way you think, right? If you're if you find yourself always having these negative thought patterns, 
the more you entertain and don't acknowledge those thought patterns or don't work to change them, the deeper they become ingrained, right? Neuroplasticity mm -hmm. can work in both ways. It can work That's... to your benefit or it can work to your detriment. And so I think people understanding that they are in control, like I'm doing this waking up app with Sam Harris right now. And he's like, you literally control how long you spend in an emotional state. You can mm -hmm. train your mind. And I think that's the, you know, one, one point I wanted to bring up is learning is a skill and you can train your ability to learn. You can train your, your brain to be able to focus and process information, just like you can train a muscle to get stronger, but we don't talk about it. Everyone, everyone knows, oh, if you go to the gym or you lift weights, your muscles get bigger. Yet we don't talk about the fact that none of us, for the most part, are training our minds. And the mind is actually one of the most powerful tools that you have. Exactly. Even for things like um, you see like memory champions and, and things like that. And like guys like Jim Quick, who who actually coach people on how to learn and, and consume information uh, very, very quickly. And he, they all say the same thing. And, and a lot of them get into it because for the reasons of it's not like they were just uh, amazing at it. They actually a lot of them get into it because they actually had uh, they consider themselves to have poor memory or poor recall, things like that. So he actually had same thing. They actually called him. I believe the the boy with the broken brain, he was labeled that as a kid. So uh, Jim Quick. And so then he got into it so hard and he actually became this like learning. He teaches people how to learn now. Wow. So it's interesting because you can do the opposite. But um, but memory champions will tell you the same thing. It's like, no, everybody can do this. And yeah. people are like, no, it's got to work no. out. And he's, they're like, no, no, everyone can do this. I, I was shit one day and I <laughs> started learning and then I got good at it. So yeah, Ronnie um, Coleman wasn't born as a like muscle freak. He worked at it. And the same thing with this guy. It's like, you have to be open-minded that you can improve and also you have to work like yes. this is one thing that people just don't understand is the concept of work is the concept of every day showing up being disciplined and doing what you know you need to do to get to your goal we've just become i think society in general is just soft right like we just we the path of least resistance seems to be the choice for so many people yeah and you know people like jim quick stand out not because he's genetically gifted in fact he was like you said, previously known as the kid with the broken brain. Um, and he just put in the work and he knew. And, you know, I think to put to say putting in the work is all that needs to be done is is probably not the whole story because people need to know, number one, that it's possible. Number two, how to essentially put in the work, like what work actually needs to get done. Yeah. And I think that parallel comes with health, too, where people in effect know that they can be healthy or maybe they don't. They maybe they've been medicalized so hard that they don't know they can be healthy. But once they realize health is within their grasp, they are the ones that control their health. Then they just need the information and the guidance on how to get there. And that's really... And then they need to put in the work. And they need to put that. in the work. And yeah. only they can put in the work. That's the, yeah. that's the thing. It's like you can be prepared for that journey as much as possible with information and guidance, but only you can take the first step and only you can put in the work every day. But the people who buy in, shit happens. Mm -hmm. Like they, it, they, It's amazing what kind of changes happen. Oh, exactly. So one thing we talked about is that we wish, you know, I think you would agree. I wish I would have taken the, I wish the first course in undergrad was teaching me how to learn because mm -hmm. I really think that now that, you know, you go through this process of self-discovery to figure out, okay, well, this works, this doesn't, I absorb information way better this way, um, you know, and we'll go through several elements of how to optimize your ability to learn, but even just learning how to learn, which sounds silly to say, is a massive element in in being able to optimize your ability to learn effectively. There's a concept called active learning, and it's basically taking control over your own learning experience. And uh, basically, a lot of it, 
goes down to like the internal dialogue you have about learning. So going through like almost having conversations with yourself in your head as you're learning things and you're like, oh, that make like talking to yourself. This makes sense. Oh, yeah. I see where this fits in. So a lot of the times we're just kind of reading stuff passively and we're not actually going through this internal dialogue and like deconstructing the things as we're learning it. And a lot of times this takes a bit more time. So so you can't just like, you know, smash through pages. It's almost like you got to break things down or, you know, that's where people have a people with a highlighter in the book, they'll like, you know, underline something and they'll be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You almost go into sometimes, like I found myself doing this more recently, pausing on something and then even almost daydreaming and, and going through this internal dialogue yeah. in my head for like whatever, five, 10 minutes. And so not even going further in the book. And then once you've kind of figured out how that fits into your schema, then kind of bringing it back to, to what you're learning. I but, agree. but it's this, this, I think people are uncomfortable with having these conversations with them or they just don't know um, or, or haven't trained themselves to have these internal conversations with themselves as they're learning stuff. Yeah. So active I agree. Learning. I agree. I chunk books. Like I'll usually like read the intro, read the first page of each chapter put it down. Maybe I'll read a little bit of something else. And then I'll go back and I'll read like one chapter and I'll ruminate on it for like sometimes like a couple of days or even a week mm-hmm. before I even take any notes. I'll just try and think of like, okay, how does this fit into the way I'm currently thinking of things? And how do I, well, the beauty about anything health related is that you have your own guinea pig accessible at all times. So not only can you learn the information and, and process that, you can actually put it into experience and then feel how that information kind of how you respond to that information. Exactly. And I think it's powerful. I think there's different levels of, of taking in knowledge because you can just be, I've been in that before where it's like just trying to consume as much information as possible. There's different levels of actually consuming information and, you, and it becomes that comes down to like the state that you're in um, and whether you're, you're ready to absorb it, whether you're in a, like in a present scenario where you're, where you're able, cause you can just like, you can be going through, you can be looking at words on pages and you can be going through a book and you can think that you're learning and you might still be learning it, but you, there's, but you might be learning. I think there's like multiple different levels of it. Cause you could read the same line in a different state and get so much more from that line. Yep, I agree. Um, whereas you still read the line and you could still even recall the line. It's not like you didn't look at the line at all, but, um, that's, what's interesting. Or same thing with like quotes, like people will see quotes all the time and, and it's like, okay, that makes sense. But then it's like, are you truly thinking about the, what that quote means? And then you might see it again and be like, oh, okay, this means something different because I'm actually going into that active learning approach and thinking about what that means a bit more. Yeah, um, I like yeah. that active learning, having that internal dialogue because it's something you do. I think like it's something I find myself doing, but I've never actually thought about it in that context, right? Mm-hmm. Like passive learning versus active learning, actively processing and not rushing through what you're reading just for the sake of crushing pages, but actually being like, am I really thinking about what I'm reading and like some books just destroy you if you take that approach because like I remember I think it was uh, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb you read one page and you're like oh my god I gotta think about this for like a week now yeah you know like some things are just very heavy and each sentence like really good writers every sentence has so little fat on it that you're like that is a point that I need to try and process before I even go on to the next one yeah exactly. and uh anyway so a couple things I have a couple things listed so uh, implementing to, and these are all points that can kind of contribute to optimized learning. So implementing a learning process and system, engineering your environment, optimizing your mental function, knowing your limits in terms of your ability to learn in a certain period of time with good focus. And then, uh, I want to talk about the myth, myth of multitasking too, because I think this is something that people think you can just multitask and do a hundred things at once. 
but they don't realize that you, this is not how the brain works. This isn't how physiology works. You're essentially, you know, we'll talk about it after, but essentially multitasking is if you're doing four things at once, you're jumping from thing to thing. You're not doing four things at once. And so you're, you know, spreading your energy out, really your neural energy out really thin and essentially doing four things really shitty instead of doing one thing really well. Exactly. And, and it might relating it to the act of learning you like you would not be able to use this internal dialogue and really deconstruct things if you're trying to do four things at once. Yes. That's just like you say, it's just two. You can't you can't do it. So you could on you could on paper do four things at once. But it's like, how are you actually doing them? That yeah, matters. you can. And like people legitimately feel like I know someone that claims that she can do so many thing of, things at once. And here's the thing. I used to think that, too. So it's not you don't want to be like, well, that's bullshit. But it's like, mm, I don't I don't think you're actually doing things mm-hmm. to the level you you might want to do them. And sure, if you're doing like very superficial things like consuming entertainment or something while cooking, sure. But if you're actually trying to do deep work and and truly learn or or be creative and and put something down on paper, you cannot do it with distractions. And one really cool thing that I read was um, in Brian Solace's book where he talks about how there's some research out there that says basically once you're distracted, it takes you on average 23 minutes to get back to focused work. Hmm. So, and distracted can literally just mean I just glanced at Instagram for, for five seconds. Yeah. It takes you 23 minutes to reel it back, to truly reel it back to into a focused focus. state. Yeah, and I think I like people just underestimate the cost of distraction in terms of productivity. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really, you know, we all half the world lives in cubicles in the Western world and is just struggling to find meaning. So Facebook or Instagram or like messaging their friend is like their outlet to, to feel, you know, something. But I think that comes at a big cost that we might not realize because it's not, you know, an obvious cost, but the cost is definitely there. And I see it in myself all the time. And I'm sure you've seen it too, where if soon as you get distracted and it breaks your, your kind of focus, if you're doing some sort of deep work, it's like, it's very hard to get back on it. Yeah. So I think that plays into like where, where you learn best. So like location and your environment matters a lot. So again, if you're, for me, I like to do tasks like uh, if I'm okay with doing tasks that I can, uh, that do require a little bit of back and forth. If I'm doing emails and I'm doing um, so stuff like that, just kind of more superficial work. I don't mind. I actually like working in like a coffee shop and not a one that's like booming with music and stuff and crazy busy, but somewhere where there, you know, there's, I'm okay with a little bit of chat yeah. uh, going on in the background, that type of thing. And I'm it's a novel environment too. You're not in the same place you do work. So I think there's something yeah. to be said about that too. Novel environment. So that's the thing. Whereas if I want to go deep in work, I'd want it to be a bit more like just completely quiet, even like secluded. And yeah. that's, and I want to play around with that, that a bit more. I haven't had that as much, but back in like university days, I liked, I go to the library specifically and, and I like going even like in, at Elborn, like going into a room where no one was in and just yep. like reading there um, or, or going to, I always hated when people were talking in the library because that's the one place that you, you had to work. But so I, you know, you just go deeper into the library and I find agree. rooms. That, Those a-holes that talk on the non-talking floors. You're like, dude, yeah. like, you're like, I understand what's else. going here, going on here. This is like social hour. You're turning like <laughs> two hours of work into like five hours and snacks and everything. Yeah, that person's accomplishing nothing and they're yeah. making you get kind of dragged down with them so i think engineering your environment and knowing what to engineer into your environment so like putting your phone away closing the tabs on your computer i like i'm starting to use composition books a lot more so that i don't even Mm -hmm. have to have any technology and it's just like writing notes and consuming whatever i'm reading um going i like going somewhere so so like driving somewhere or walking somewhere 
um, but just like physically going somewhere because you've almost made the decision like I'm going here yeah, to committed. do this. Um, and it's like you're not just going to show up and be like, OK, I don't feel like doing this drive home. So exactly. Um, I find that just puts you it kind of like primes you. And then when you go there and then go to where you go matters, obviously. So going somewhere where that that is kind of designed for that um, and, and bringing something you might bring your computer, you might bring a notebook. But I think that it's this it's weird it's very like uh personalized and individualized like sometimes you just you're not getting a good work vibe and you're like i just don't feel like i'm and it might be just the combination of all these factors but but it's like i've learned to just be like okay well let it go don't force it maybe do some other stuff now maybe go to something uh go back to it another time that's what i was gonna Um, say is you have to know when to cut when to call it right like mm -hmm. if you're trying 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 to get in that focus state and it's, it's just not working and a lot of times i look back in those times and i'm like I didn't sleep very well last night or I ate something shitty a couple hours ago. So it's making me only think of food. So I I really think that if people take this perspective of looking back and finding out, okay, what is stopping me? You know, did I, do I have a cluttered mind right now? And it's really hard to get into that state. I think people can kind of realize what works best for them and how they get into that specific state. So Um, that's learning too. So learning exactly how you learn, learning what works, learning where you learn best. Uh, learning what things in your environment make you learn better or make you learn worse or make you, again, the the focus and attention, which is the biggest factor in learning, things that affect that positively or negatively, learning from those, taking advantage of those, cutting out things that, that ham- uh, hinder you. So, yeah. And even knowing, learning what time of day, like for me, uh, the morning is my, is the sweet spot. And I, I, and also understanding like, how do you learn best? Like I've realized that from 60 to 90 minutes, I can focus directly, but past that, see you later. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work past 90 minutes. I don't even try, right? I don't even try and fight it and prolong a session of work after 90 minutes of good focused work, which probably gets done more than I got done in like three hours before I realized the value of distraction free, deep work. Um, that's, that's powerful knowing what your limits are. People think people have weird And again, like the student mindset and all this is like, let's go, uh, you know, uh, just cram everything and put, try to cram as much as possible. Let's go to the library. I'm going to spend all day. Like you hear that all the time. I'm going to spend all day at the library today. But if it's almost like if they knew, yeah, if if you, like you said, just something, I think even at a younger age, just like learning how, just teaching on that and, um, and and basically showing kids how, you know, concepts and, and strategies for maybe learning. And it's not like this guilty feeling. I would feel weird all the time back in university but i kind of got at the end of university i got over it a little bit because i realized that was actually helping me whereas like it would be the night before the exam or a couple days before and i'd still be going to the gym and i'd be doing the things i wanted to do too i'd still you know whatever i'd go uh play intramurals or something and then it's like your classmates be like whoa you're going to the gym like this week is like you know like cram week and it's like it was almost like I was feeling guilty for still going to the gym, still like cooking meals myself and, and yeah. like things like that. But I think that's uh, that's really important. And and, uh, and that that if you just take a, a different approach at and be like, well, no, I've had my time going to the gym is actually a way now I can kind of reset my mind, recharge so then I can be more productive after. Yeah. So the I just fit the gym in uh, and I did an hour on the front end, hour on the back end with an hour at the gym. Um, so that was three hours. I probably got two productive hours in. You were at the library for three hours and you probably only got one productive hour in. Exactly. Um, and you were there for three hours physically. Well, but again, he, what like were you doing? Marco. Marco would go to the library <laughs> for eight hours and you knew. He was like, oh, I spent eight hours in the library last night. And it's like, 
you not probably a... got 30 minutes worth of work done bro <laughs> like, yeah. once you, know, you study with these people you're like oh this is what happens okay i don't feel bad anymore because this is what's happening yeah and, uh, oh i can't even study with you because you just talk and tell me shit about facebook the whole time ah oh, i understand yeah. how things work so you're right it's really about efficiency and optimizing your time and valuing not just time spent learning but like focused intense time um, that's actually productive, right? Like what's your productive to non-productive ratio of time spent learning? And I think for a lot of people, I think for a lot of people and myself included, uh, you know, several years ago, I didn't even know that that ratio existed. I thought like, okay, if I sit down and read something and yeah. and I think we've all done this where you're reading a page and you're like, I don't even know what I just read. Yeah, I need to read it again. And then you read it again. And you're like, oh my God, I just got 10% of that. This is like, you know, your brain is telling you, you are not in a state primed for learning. You didn't you know, your memory, and we can talk about sleep in a sec and how that affects memory. But, you know, if you're sitting down static for hours on end, the lack of movement alone will stop your brain from being in a primed state for learning. Mm-hmm. Like movement is a powerful um, tool to leverage in two respects. Number one, if you're able to move slightly while you're learning, like doing it in standing or having position variety. But number two, as a break to either, you know, take a break from an intense focus session or to actually stimulate of, you know, like jumping on the beam is something I love to do whenever I'm hit a roadblock in learning or doing work, because it, it, it makes you get sucked into the present moment and not, and not think about what you were just doing. But it also can trigger a flow state, which can open up a bunch of creativity that you didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. So I think movement as a tool, and even can exercise, be powerful. you're taking it a step further for getting the, the blood flowing and, and ramping up that there's like the phenomenon of exercise induced neurogenesis is super real and super studied and it releases um, neurotropic factors like BDNF, which is like, they call it the miracle grow of the brain. Um, IGF one VGF. So these are just like factors that basically help your neurons um, make better connections. They, it's just like they help these neural connections to form. Um, And the multiple studies have shown that just with kid different populations, I actually looked into like, the adult 60 plus 60 year old plus populations and they've shown that like exercise really helps with cognitive function um there's a systematic review on that uh physical activity shown to increase gray matter volume in adulthood but then in the kids the kids research is crazy so like yeah. if you get john them, ratty was john spark. ratty that's that book spark so to it actually is a good tool to 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 help you learn from a variety of different standpoints the creativity what it does to all these factors in your brain and it helps you actually lay down these connections better too so yeah and the ability to focus too like okay healthy children fidget and are are like they always want to move this that's because a natural human child is supposed to be moving if you make them sit in a chair and learn boring shit they're going to be disruptive and like that's not a sign that they have some sort of disease it's a sign they're a normal kid and that you're putting them in the wrong environment for them to learn and that's the hint right if everyone has got add features well maybe it's the environment that's the problem not every single kid and that brings up the point of like we are forcing people to learn things and like the the point of like being an autodidactic which is like a self learner is is very key um and i think I think a lot of people haven't found a true love for learning in their because they, their experience with what learning means to them is is negative. It's, forced. Yeah. it's almost like their experience with what learning is is like being in school, which having like ninety percent of the information they weren't interested in crammed yeah. down their throat. Yeah. So if you pick it up and kind of develop a different relationship with what learning is, and be like, okay, well. 
I want to learn things that I'm interested in and that will help me. And that just, yeah, just like for the intrinsic value of, of learning, that's why I want to learn. So I'm going to learn and you can realize like, oh, it's, it's cool to learn different things. Like everybody, even people who don't, wouldn't consider themselves um, like learners. If you say a cool fact to somebody, you know, it's so calm. People be like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. Like, cool. And yeah. then they'll tell it to their friends. It's like, that's learning too. You just learned like a random fact about the world. Yeah. So, um, kind of taking that mindset and learning different random facts even, um, and then, and then spinning that into whatever you want to help you. Cause I think just the more, you know, about, uh, about reality, then the, the more it can help you out and the more it can kind of fit into your, your schema of what, what the world is and, and how you can get through this world and how you can be kind of like healthy and, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, have, have good well-being. So, I agree. Um, so that's probably the base fundamental of optimizing your learning. It's very different to learn shit. You are being told you have to learn versus yeah. learning stuff that you want to learn. Exactly. And probably the that's probably, biggest way yeah. to optimize your learning is learn things you, you want, want to learn. learn. <laughs> yeah. It seems silly to fun. say learning yeah, is it is. Fun. when you, when you're learning, when you have a new book in front of you, you're like, this is amazing. Right. And then I think that's, you hear different stories of, of people when they, um, people like, uh, Yuval Harari, he, his style of reading is like jump from book to book because it's like, as soon as it loses my interest a little bit, um, yeah. don't feel bad about going to a different book. Okay. Yeah. My interest is back. And exactly. then I do that so, automatically. It was just, it just, yeah. and like people think that that's scattering your attention, but it's allowing you to consume and process information of different types at the same time instead yeah. of just trying to drown your brain in one type of information so exactly. i don't read every single book cover to cover which is why i look like an add freak when it comes to books and have books everywhere but it's also like i know where i am in each one i know the stage that i'm working on of mm -hmm. processing that information on each one some of them is just a cursory look some of them is actually taking notes but i think I, that's the sign of a good book when when i do read a book cover to cover i i'm i'm very impressed yeah uh, and i and i because I know that it, that's hard to for the author to, to keep somebody's attention. So um, it's just something that I consider a really You crush book. books on planes when we travel. And you yeah. basically, you just, you've just learned that the plane, when you're in an undistracted environment, you have to be there anyway, Yeah, is a really good environment, is a sweet spot environment for having long focus. Like the only thing it lacks there is movement, but you still get up and move around and you can take 10 minutes and just breathe. Like it is, or I get a lot of, learning and, and actually work like writing work done on planes because no one has access to distracting you unless you have some annoying co-passenger mm -hmm. um and i think that's just it's all about like you said before learning how you learn is actually a very important element of learning and i think we just don't think about learning at different levels and we don't think of it as something that could be optimized or trained um but your ability to focus on something like i think a lot of people in that are in their 20s right now would find it extremely difficult to read a book for an hour straight without checking their phone I without agree. getting distracted and that is like we've essentially detrained our focus with these because we've turned attention into a currency right like in the past 10 years attention has become a currency where companies can now profit from your attention mm -hmm. right by advertising specific things to you and so once you monetize attention you create an environment where it's very profitable to try and steal people's attention and use strategies like slot machine algorithms to essentially hack your brain's cognitive wiring to steal your attention. And so I think now it's like, if you're not informed about training your attention and training your mind, you are by default probably going to be a person with a very cluttered mind and inability to focus. So I think learning about learning is more important now than ever. You have to get ahead of it. 
you have to get um, ahead of all that stuff you just talked about in order to to get by. Yeah. Um, or else you're you're kind of more like I'd say a victim to it, and that that's not a good place to be. Yeah. Um, and I think habit. We always talk about habits are a factor of your environment. If you know how to engineer your environment for learning. Uh, and you know what goes into optimizing your learning, then you prepare yourself much better to be able to actually, you know, consume. Because being able to, if you're an efficient learner, it's very powerful. Especially oh, if, sure. if you combine efficient learning with a sense of purpose and a desire to learn about a topic, like you're, that's a superhuman ability. Oh, for sure. Right? That few and have, um, but is crazy powerful. It's also like, it's it's not linear too, because learning as you learn, you like the, the schemas we talked about, I think it's, it's more, I wouldn't, I don't know if it would be, it's more logarithmic though. I think I would say it's just like things are, they, they uh, multiply on top of each other and then you have more associative things to, you can associate more things that you've learned in the past with new things. Yes. And then that becomes more things you can associate with more things. So I think that it just, it's like a ripple effect that happens. Um, when you start this process, you get better and better at it. And then you get better at doing those associations and then everything just spirals from there. Um, yeah, you're right. It's not a linear relationship because linear relationship would be the more time you spend learning, the more information you consume. Whereas a logarithmic scale, something that's exponential, if you include learning how to learn in the time you spend learning, well, if you 2x your ability to learn, well, you just doubled the speed that you learn. So spending yeah. two times as much time learning will give you four times the return, right? So you can really optimize things if you think deeply of it. And I yeah. think um, I think sleep is one of the biggest ones. For sure. Right? Like we know the effect of sleep on memory formation. And really, like when you're learning, you're processing information, you have to, in order to truly incorporate that information, you have to put it into long-term storage in your memory. So that's like the back, I, it's important on the front end and the back end. Like, like you say, on the back end, in order to consolidate this stuff, you need good sleep. But on the front end, it, it's more of an attention and focus game. Yep. So you can't even learn it in the first place because you don't have that that attention to do so. So you're kind of screwed on both directions. 100%. Uh, and Matthew Walker makes the most beautiful, simple analogy. I think most people can relate to a jump drive, like a quick storage device, and then like a portable hard drive, which is a long-term storage. So when you learn something, you're filling up your short-term storage. And when you sleep, your brain essentially processes all the information from short-term storage to long-term storage, right? Mm -hmm. Cold storage, to deep memory formation. So if you don't sleep, two things happen. Number one, you don't actually take the short-term storage and put it into long-term storage. So you don't actually put things into long-term memory. But at the same time, if you don't sleep well, and not just not sleep at all, but don't get quality sleep or enough sleep, then the next day you're actually starting the day with a full jump drive. So you don't have any room to put in new information and you weren't even able to take the information that's on that portable hard drive and put it into long-term storage. So mm -hmm. you're screwed both ways. And I think sleep is like, you know, you want to talk about bottom of the pyramid. Yeah, you can learn how you learn best and optimize your environment. But if you're not sleeping well, then you're not even preparing yourself to be able to yeah. do to optimize your learning. So it's important. No, exactly. And we didn't know that in school. That was another big thing. No, that goes like totally against what, what the student mindset is, is just like stay up all night and try exactly. to learn. Exactly. So it's like spinning your wheels when you're trying to learn, which, yeah, I think there's big problems with that. <laughs> well, I just remember like showing up for exams and people show up with bags under their eyes. They look like ghosts. You're like, oh, you had a rough night. It's like, yeah, I was trying to learn. I was trying to like learn this last little bit. And it's like, well, you probably could have just not consumed six hours worth of stuff and spent that time sleeping and actually done way better on this exam. Yeah. And you feel and I it. Think I think we intuitively felt it, but we didn't actually know 
the science behind it until sure. kind of now. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and it's like everyone gets upset when and I, I do agree, like it's not ideal when your exams are like I would hate when they would put like two in one day and then like one the next morning. Like, yeah. And then, then your, it's a test. your friend it's a test would test to be... see how well you can get shit done. I no, think. exactly. But but then like your friend in the same program, the way they put their courses in would, would have them spaced out by like three days each. And you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. like I would have done better if I just had a different schedule. <laughs> yeah, I know. But at the same Silliness time, at the same time though, I think that if you took a different approach and be like, well, I'm going to learn, like prepare in the background and make sure by the time the exams, comes, these are just the days to, so I'm, that's more like sleep time and making yeah. sure my energy is there and everything that I learned before that is now uh, you're able to, to get it out. So just approaching it differently and, and saying that even though that might be to your disadvantage, but you can get by because if you have a different strategy for learning. Yeah. So, and I think, uh, like even another topic of learning is like using drugs, right? And by mm -hmm. drugs, we don't mean like crazy drugs i think a lot of people are using um like uh adhd or add medications but the two drugs that you know that we can mention are coffee which you know i enjoy coffee um i, I like i have a couple coffees in the morning i have an 11 a.m deadline where beyond that i don't drink coffee because it's got a seven hour half-life and it can disrupt your sleep but coffee can be a good enhancer for learning because it's a stimulant right it, mm -hmm. like helps switch your brain on as long as you're not using it as a crutch Right. If you're sleep deprived and you're covering it up with coffee, well, that's not a very good use of coffee as a learning tool. And then there's a dose that it becomes, um, I think, too much, too. So you get a little too wired. Um, and if you have a little too much. So there's like a fine. It's like a, a bell curve kind of. For, for dosage um, where you become like jittery and, and almost unfocused after that, I find for myself. So, I agree. so yeah, it's kind of that middle ground. And then the other drug is cannabis. Right. We live in Canada. This is a legal drug. This is legal as alcohol or coffee. Um, and I think especially for this, I it's very hard to read stuff um, if you consume cannabis. But I find for both movement and mm -hmm. things like a podcast where you're listening to something and you're moving, super powerful to just think about things from a different perspective or give you this influx of creative thinking from the different mindset you're in. Um, so I think those two... Learning how to think more creatively. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? associate different things. Yeah, it's good. Like I would say it would be good for like associating different ideas. So you, maybe your, your levels of associative learning go up because you're seeing different uh, connections between different concepts in ways that you True. didn't see before. So, um, but like you say, that's different from maybe consuming information. So like good for some things again, maybe not so good for other things. Yeah. Um, but again, it can be a tool that, that you could use to, to help you be a bit more uh, productive in this process and you have to they're just like anything else you have to learn how best you use the tool mm -hmm. right like saying these big sweeping comments like oh do this and you'll get better at learning it's like it doesn't work that way no. because everyone's brain is different everyone's at a different level in terms of their ability to hold their attention um, in terms of how they learn best what works best for them but I think general principles like you should be sleeping yeah you should probably avoid distractions you should focus on learning how you learn best because that's mm -hmm. going to allow you to learn way more in the end even though in sure. the short term it's you know requires extra mental focus to figure out okay well i did it this way this time and i could only focus for like 20 minutes and even just like being aware enough to know when your focus stops yeah that is hard for a lot of people for sure we don't even know i think that brings brings us to the concept of like learning from your feelings so so learning from um from your emotions so and that might like emotions 
it might mean different things for different people, but learning from how your body, what your body is trying to tell you, what your emotions are trying to tell you. So that feeling of getting restless, that feeling of getting anxious when you might be learning something, learn from that. Um, the feel like, or, or even just in a more broad sense, um, in general, when you're feeling a certain way, can you be aware of that and learn from that? Because that is learning as well. Learning what your body is trying to tell you in these messages we call emotions. And, and those that's all it is. It's, it's just these like messages that we have a tougher and tougher time um, un, unpacking and, and figuring out what they're trying to tell us these days because we got so much stimulus coming in. But it's, you're feeling that way for a reason. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's like, this is like the concept language. of of uh, from from I don't know if it was Brett or Eric Weinstein, um, but it was the concept of critical feeling because everyone talks about critical thinking, um, and it's just like being very critical of what you're what you're thinking. But I think that critical feeling uh, and what they would suggest is that's just as important of, of a concept and and being very critical. And again, it starts with like awareness, but it's like why am I? Huh, let's really think about why am I feeling this way? Yeah. And is there things that I did on the front end that made me feel this way? Let's learn why I'm feeling this way so that we can make changes in the future to either perpetuate that if it's a good feeling or the opposite or get, get eliminate it or extinguish it if it's a bad uh, if it's a bad feeling. So that's learning from your feelings, critical feeling. Yeah, we just get really detuned from listening to our body. Mm -hmm. I think that that comes from multiple things, one of which is just this medicalization of everything where we wait till other people tell us what's wrong instead of just being able to feel and, you know, detect patterns even. Like people just don't think of, you know, understanding when these negative emotions come, what circumstances are surrounding it, what could potentially be contributing. Like that's, a, those are a lot of layers to go down into. But yeah. by figuring that out, you make your life so much better. And I think people, it's the same thing as always. There needs to be an awareness that that can be figured out. Mm -hmm. And then there needs to be a constant effort to always try and evaluate these, you know, number one, actually detect the mood you're in, right? Yeah. People are just are on this roller coaster and they just, they're, they might be angry or in a really sad mood and they don't even know they're in it. They're just like, they're just living it. Yeah. So detecting it and then trying to figure out what things can trigger this or what things can cue this um, so that I know for future. Or, and, and then also I would add is like learning how to then uh, potentially change your, uh, your state or your your emotional state um, or the way you're feeling, uh, learning how to do that best too because maybe you detect, oh, I'm feeling this way and maybe you detect it's because of this, this, and this but maybe you from there you say, I also know that if I do this, I can actually change into this better state. So yeah. you learn how to quickly get yourself out of it and get yourself back on course quicker uh, from what you do. So it might be to run, it might be uh, whatever it might be for you. Uh, it might mean just going for a walk and like th uh, taking some fresh air in. But uh, I think just the quicker you you learn from what caused that and then what can I do to, to course correct and then um, and then just have those uh, these these options for you in, in the future when it does happen. And I think, you know, we'll do a whole podcast on meditation and mindfulness because I think the two M words mean very little. Uh, they used to mean very little for me, but now they mean a lot more as I'm learning about their value. And, um, you know, I've always sucked at meditation. I just thought I never was good at it. Now I'm starting to kind of grasp it more. And, you know, one thing I realized is you just got to practice, right? Like you have to be in a white belt mentality for a long ass time if you have a cluttered mind, uh, which I for often sure. find myself having. So, you know, using starting to practice meditation, even in, even if it means five minutes a day 
And people think that meditation is like this state where nothing goes through your mind. That is total bullshit, right? A lot is going through your mind and that's the point, right? You're recognizing all these thoughts that come into your mind and you're not like getting mad at yourself for not being able to focus. You're acknowledging and observing them and being like, hmm, I'm thinking of that because that's something that I didn't resolve or that it's a loose end I have to tie up. And I think once you get good at practicing decluttering your mind, it allows you're also training attentional focus, right? Like you're yeah. training the muscle of your brain to be better at eliminating noise and zoning in on one specific thing. And I think that is a direct enhancement uh, to your ability For to learning. learn. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, you can eliminate distractions as much as you want, but like you can find distractions anywhere, right? Yeah. You can like you're a feeling of itchiness in your toe can be a distraction, but you have to get good at just, you know, blocking things out um, that aren't relevant. And so, Yeah. I agree. That's that's huge, and that that should be a topic that we uh, yeah we let's, cover. We'll write that on the roster because I'm, like I said, I'm trying the Waking Up app by Sam Harris, and it's like so powerful how he words uh, meditation, and he he really does a good job at wording it in a way that makes it not intimidating. Because I think yeah. it's an intimidating word for a lot of people, and they might have tried it, kind of half-assed it. I know I half-assed it like on multiple occasions where I made a commitment, and I'm just like, oh, this I suck at this, and I just didn't want to do it, but once you truly put your soul into it and commit to being like, I'm going to suck at this for a while, but I'm going to do it every, I'm going to show up every day for mm -hmm. five minutes. Now I actually look forward to it. Like I actually love taking five or 10 minutes and just, you know, not going for a walk, but just sitting down and his app is very helpful because he kind of guides you through it. And obviously the goal is to not need the app uh, eventually, but uh, I already noticed changes in my ability to focus when I'm doing work. It's mm -hmm. like very, it's very subtle, but it's very sneaky and awesome. Yeah, um, for sure. So yeah, we'll chat about that. One other thing I, I want to chat about is just learning how to uh, relax or down-regulate because I think, and I mentioned that, I mean, I mean, you could also mention learning how to up-regulate, but I feel like we don't have that as much of a problem. Yeah, we got uh, plenty of up-regulation. I mean, like if you're, let's say you're going for performance or you're going, you're going to be doing... Um, you're playing a sport or you're doing like a powerlifting event, you might consider like, okay, let's learn how to really get myself in that, in that state to really, but at the same time, I think most people need to learn more how to, how to relax and how to downregulate. And it is a learning process as well. So you need to like, you know, it's all the things we talked about play into it. The, the conditions, the environment you're in, um, learning how to feel what you're feeling, um, learning how to use your breath and things like that learning how to recognize when you are getting yourself into more relaxed state and then, and then taking advantage of it. Because I think we're all too often just in too much of an upregulated state. Um, and we need to learn how to calm our bodies down because that's where the, the rest and digest, that's where the repair uh, happens. And that's where uh, I think just, just, we just, we're just in this like burnout mode, a lot of us in, in yeah. Western society, and we don't realize it. So very, very important. And it's hard. It's hard to learn yeah, how to, to down, shut yourself down, really get into nice relaxed state and do that regularly and, and be able to get better and better at producing it when you want. So, and I think people feel guilty, feel like they're supposed to be doing stuff. So they don't want to take the time, but what you eventually realize, whether it's from someone else or just self realize is that without doing the down regulation part, you actually inhibit yourself from being productive in the, in the part where you are working. Yeah. So it's like, whether you learn by experience or, or you just learn from hearing it from someone else, I think everyone learns that at some point you can't redline your mind and your body infinitely without consequences. And it's better to figure out how to downregulate before you hit the wall or hit cat catast uh, catastrophic, you know, collapse of just, you know, the total inability to focus. Um, 
So yeah, anyway, we hope that, you know, the big take homes are learning how to learn is important and will actually exponentially increase your ability to learn if you just find how best you learn, whether that's the place, the environment, you know, making sure you sleep. Um, you know, the brain has this inherent neuroplasticity that is immensely powerful and the ability to learn follows that. Um, you know, making, like we talked about, sleep, the environment, eliminating distractions, using movement as a, as a way to enhance your ability to learn. And, um, and just not subscribing, not ascribing to the myths of multitasking where you do a bunch of things at once because really the brain doesn't work that way. And uh, being able to do deep work can really be extremely satisfying and is something very few of us are able to get into um, in the age of distraction. So hopefully some of this stuff is able to help you in your own life and uh, we'll catch you next week.